source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan following Everton's 4-0 drubbing at the hands of Crystal Palace in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup at Selhurst Park. A incredibly depressing performance off the back of the elation that we all felt following Newcastle. A little bit of crashing back to earth for the Toffees. These points from EFC Stato on Twitter at EFC underscore Stato bring that home quite viscerally. We had... Everton have lost 10 of their last 12 away games against Premier League opposition in all competitions. On the back of that, Everton's 4-0 defeat to Crystal Palace is their biggest FA Cup defeat since they lost 4-0 to Liverpool in January 1955. Now, if you haven't shut the episode off already after listening to those, we will be breaking down the match and going through a lot of Frank's post-match comments before we do all of the regular things, just a reminder to please subscribe to the show if you haven't already and leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to find all of our social media links, you can find those at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod, or it's just at USA Toffee Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll start with instant match reactions. I'm sure we will get some really great sound bites here. We'll start with Ryan. Take us away. It was bad. Hashtag analysis from Ryan over to Alex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, trash performance, trash result. I think it was an opportunity for the team to show what they're made of after, um, you know, a win the other night. And they obviously showed essentially no courage or hashtag spirit at all. It was completely disappointing. And uh, I can't wait till we <laughs> break it down even further. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, Alex. Me neither. And, you know, following Newcastle, spirits were pretty high uh, amongst the fan base, at least, if not the player base. Unfortunately, that led to some perhaps unrealistically optimistic score predictions on our Discord. And as a result, we had none correct. Unfortunately, now let's wind the clock back to 7.30 a.m. Worth noting that I, for some reason, thought the game kicked off at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I woke up about three or four minutes before kickoff which was jarring to say the least to realize the match was kicking off. In hindsight, I wish that I had slept in. But let's wind it back to the dropping of both teams' lineups, and we'll start with Crystal Palace, who have obviously, safe to say, uh, surpassed Everton in form at least this season under Patrick Vieira. They've undergone a bit of a resurgence and have been in halfway decent form uh, and have made some obviously very classy signings that have benefited them tremendously and seem to be on the up and up. Ryan, take us through their setup today. I mean, they're all right. Let's not make them sound like they're world. Well, I take all right right now for Everton. Yeah, that's fair. The lineup is pretty much our typical first team. And and we're seeing that a lot. (laughs) A lot of the matches we lose, it's because the other team has played the same guys. And and this is a fluid game. It requires chemistry. And their big exception was that uh, Jeffrey Schlub went out. He had two yellows, I think, within the FA Cup. Again, yellow cards... um, matter within competitions the red cards carry forward across thus alone being out in this match it was very attacking their sub for him was easy and uh he's talented but that's a pretty attacking group and i think it's you know zaha mateta who who has found his form which i figured he eventually would 
uh, Mikela Lise, who we badly wanted, if you recall the preseason episode, because he had a low release clause. He would have been perfect at right wing, but no, we chose not to do that. We chose to go another direction. Um, Ize is in there. Uh, Kuyate, who used to be a center half, stepping up defense mid where he's okay. And Connor Gallagher runs around like a maniac, kind of doing everything for them. I think, if anything, they're a little susceptible in the back, but they're a pretty well-balanced team. Um, they're not incredibly attacking, not incredibly defensive. They're a mid-table club that's playing all right right now. And I think the Everton lineup, we, we had a feeling there were going to be some changes, but I think most would have were probably a little surprised at some of the selections in this one. Yeah, so we had four changes from Thursday's starting lineup. Um, the first one being Begovic out for Pickford, and Begovic didn't even make the bench, so that's um, surprising to say the least. We obviously talked about whether we thought maybe he would still be involved after his good showing on Thursday. Um, we sick. also had a lot. I, I know what sick yeah, means. Most you know likely. I mean, like, it most seems like every, every other time someone's out, they're sick right now. I don't... I, who knows? Yeah. So anyway, otherwise, we had a lawn dropout because of the red card, which, by the way, um, that punishment was not lessened whatsoever. So that's three games, three matches confirmed for him. And then also, uh, Damari Gray and Alex Iwobi dropped out of the starting lineup. Obviously, they all um, put in a pretty good shift on Thursday. So we saw Townsend, John Joe Kenny come in into a back five. I mean, we also had Andre Gomez come in as well to play in midfield, which is probably not very surprising based on who we have available currently and it ended up being a a 3-4-3 of sorts at least at first um but you know the question really begs itself you know was this going to be our strongest lineup possible based on who we had out um who is cup tied and you know the essentially our midfield issues i don't think it's our strongest lineup but i think that's okay going into this match i know there's a segment of the fan base that really want wanted us to go full tilt for the fa cup um I think on this show, we've been pretty measured, at least, you know, I, I, I haven't been under any illusions that we have a realistic shot of winning the whole thing, though it's not impossible. But I think obviously, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin clearly doesn't seem to be ready to go the full 90 at this point. I think him over Richarlison at the nine would have made us immediately a little more threatening going forward. Um, we'll talk about Anthony Gordon. I said it last episode, he was pretty atrocious today, in my opinion. Um, Andrews Townsend, we've talked a lot about his shortcomings as a player. He was actually one of our few bright spots in our very promising start to the match, but then he seems to have done something to his knee that did not look good in any way, shape, or form. So I guess to answer the question, is this our strongest lineup? No, I think that's okay, at least in theory, as I'm looking at the lineup going into the match. Yes, in theory, that's okay because the league is more important, but we're in a little bit of an unusual situation where you have an international break. And so you're thinking, well, maybe you could run someone a little bit into the ground. You just didn't want to risk injury for certain key players. And that's probably the best thing that came out of today in terms of key players, no offense to Andrews Townsend, but it's very hard to look at that lineup and say, Kenny and Coleman at wingbacks with Holgate, Godfrey, and Keane in there as our back five with Andre and Decore in a two-man midfield. I just can't imagine anyone would ever look at that and say that's your best lineup because that's a problem. Now, I, I don't quite understand why Frank isn't moving some things around to accommodate maybe the way that he anticipates playing when the break is over, but maybe he does anticipate playing this way. But looking at average positions and talking about the tactical setup, it, look, it reminded me a lot of the Spurs match. It was a lot of higher pressure early. 
and you kind of knew if they broke it because of the players that they have and some of the individual qualities they have. Like, I don't want Elise and Zaha and Gallagher even running at our back line. That just is a nightmare scenario. But it's hard to argue that we weren't effective, at least putting them under pressure. And I don't know how many chances we really generated, but we were clearly on the front foot and the better team in the first 20, 25 minutes for sure. But when you ultimately take a step back and look at things tactically, you still had a lot of issues. You got Richarlson totally on an island. Townsend was pushed up high, but that average position thing just looks like that because he didn't play that much. And you see us very spread out. I, I would I would say that we were very focused on trying to use the width of the pitch at times. But you say that, and then you know those two guys in midfield are probably going to be problematic. So our shape looked okay, but ultimately you commit that many people up the pitch to try and win the ball immediately and generate chances from a high-pressure system. You can be exposed in the back. We were, but that, I don't know if that even really was the problem. You know, I, I don't think there's too much you can say tactically about this match that was all the problems other than you chose these guys, you chose to line up this way. Maybe the better response would have been add someone else in midfield and get more control. And I think there's some people to do that, but clearly Frank has said in the past he's played two men in midfield because of injury. So that's a lot of what this is, is it not? Yeah, you look at the midfield, or rather you look at the bench, that he selected, and there's really not anyone that could step in that's above the age of, you know, 20. You've got a couple of young kids in there who might be able to slot in, but midfield options are certainly at a premium right now for Everton. Um, and, and what about a Wobi? I mean, yeah, you could play him uh, in a two-man well, he, midfield, he, though, in a three-man midfield. No, I'd play him in a three. Him. Yeah, that's what I don't understand. Him. I'm just saying if Frank he went 110 so- minutes like three days ago, though, right? Uh, Anthony Gordon gets to play every second of every game at this point. So I, I don't you see any more. Well, we hadn't played up to that point. Is he true? It's a fair point, Alex, but I just don't. I understand what he's saying. I've had to play this scheme because of whatever reason. But is that all that different than playing a 4-2-3-1? We were playing a 4-2-3-1 the other day where Gordon was way the heck up the pitch. So what is he talking about? I, I just I think it's OK to question the system a little bit. Uh, even though he can't argue the setup was effective, at least early. Uh, I, I didn't see really any preference in side attacks or any. I don't know what else you guys saw um, later in the match as he started to make adjustments. Things were kind of wild, but um, yeah. we were all over him for sure. Yeah. And, and I think a couple points to make here. One is the way with which we started the game, which we'll discuss in the timeline. But we certainly don't start games super poorly under Frank. We actually tend to start them quite well. It's just only a matter of oftentimes 10 to 15 minutes before that start effective start wears out. Teams kind of weather the storm and then we're pretty listless after that point. Um, Is that the right way to play? Is that the right way to play against palace today? Would you have said, Hey, let's high pressure the heck out of them and get on them. No, probably not. But that's also Frank's kind of, MO as a manager in his brief stances, he wants to implement that sort of style. Is this the time for him to be trying to implement a brand new style to a team of players who have up to this point until his arrival been playing a very reserved, compact tactical formation? Um, That's the question. And you look at, I think in terms of the average positioning, I mean, ours looks disorganized, but there were changes that took place that probably affect that palace again. Good spacing. Um, and as you said, Ryan, I think we did definitely try to stretch the pitch and, and space things out. But that with that two-man midfield, when you overstretch, 
you leave those gaps, you leave that space in the middle of the park and teams can exploit it. Um, and just the shot distribution in terms of location is, is jarring more so than it is in most matches for us in that we had actually decent for us, 73% of our shots coming inside the 18. We weren't, you know, and the shots were relatively even between the two teams. That said, we had zero inside the six, whereas Palace had 25% inside the six and only 8% outside the box where nearly 30% of ours came from outside of the box. It's kind of them. It's kind of how they play, but it does go to show you that they had a couple times where they broke out of our pressure and they capitalized on it. Kind of that. That's what's so hard about this match. Um, yeah. You look at some of the numbers, they all look kind of even. It was just these moments of mistakes and not paying attention. There was a set piece and and a little bit. We'll get into Frank's comments. I don't think Frank was way off on his critique of the match might be a little off on how to solve it though. So I, I suppose with, before we get into the timeline, we should break for the latest from our sponsors. Welcome back everybody. We're going to shift gears now, talk about the match uh, timeline, probably not in too much detail. So as not to give ourselves too much of, you know, internal pain and struggle more so than we already have. Um, but I think the most exciting part of the match for us to talk about would be that opening 20, 25 minutes in which we looked far and away the better side. I think a lot of fans took some encouragement from that and that we could get an early goal and then, you know, shut up shop and hope to coast our way into the semis. First 24 minutes, Everton led Palace 5-1 to one in shots, three corners to zero, five to zero in aerials one, and created a couple decent chances. Obviously, the shots, I mean... There were some good ones in there, some okay ones, but what was encouraging was, I think, the volume and just the overall, you know, dominance, whereas Palace didn't create much of anything. Yeah, it was it was such a promising start. The nice part was, you know, we had our back line essentially pushed up to the halfway point. We were in control of the match. As you said, we had some pretty quick corners and we were pressing really high, which was exciting to see. And it kind of felt like at that point in time, you know, we were working our way into what could have been a really successful away day at Selhurst Park, but it definitely did not turn out that way. Um, in the 17th minute, very quickly, Andrews Townsend goes in. Um, he was looking really dangerous to that point, actually. Um, to that point, he had two key passes, three accurate crosses in only a couple minutes, right? He only played four total passes. Um, so he was effective, to say the least, when he was on, but he goes down um, in pain, and Damari Gray uh, comes on for him instead. And that's kind of when the game started to switch for us, in momentum at least. It's hard to say it was due to that, but you're right, Alex. I, I mean, it's you just look at those numbers. You know, they're pretty overwhelming in Everton's favor. And then in the 25th minute, very much against the run of play, Palace score off a set piece. This one's hard for me because, of course, immediately the announcer brings up zonal marking. I mean, it's just like clockwork. Do you think they have a little pad or a notepad or like a trigger or like red lights come on and say, we can make a comment right now that will appeal to old school English mentalities and get grumpy old people angry? Uh, it's just unbelievable. Do you not understand? So we weren't just in pure zonal. We were in a hybrid. We had three blockers in front of three-man zonal on the sixth. Someone kind of playing near Faust in zonal and someone covering the backside as well. The problem with this play ultimately is, is because Keen gets a little bit distracted here before, so he can't jump out from his zone and be more aggressive attacking it. And Gordon, the blocker, kind of goes out with someone and the ball just goes right over his head. And to be fair, it's it's a really well-struck corner. It's lower. It's hard. It doesn't give Keen 
too much time to react to it. I think the critique is those guys in zonal have got to be more aggressive. And this is a little strange. A lot of teams have been putting someone right on pick to keep him deeper because we know he's got short arms, right? Of course, that's what everyone says, whatever. That's my joke of the day. The point is, the issue here is the lack of aggression. If there's not going to be anyone in between you and the runners, and there's only five men in the box here, they've got to be more aggressive attacking the ball. And it's that split second that made all the difference. And it's a great header and great service. This is one where you could write off, eh, against the run of play, bad things happen. I, I, I don't have as much problem with this other than it was just kind of harsh as I do with the rest of the goals, to be perfectly honest. But I do think giving up this goal certainly hurt our performance. Now, I don't know why. Is it a confidence thing? Is it a mentality thing? Those are things I don't particularly like to talk too much about because I think they're boring and they're easy to label. But we certainly didn't respond very well after it, I don't think, uh, at least in my opinion. I'm not sure what you all think. Yeah, it's just another case. You know, you you think back to plenty of matches recently. I mean, we were able to stay in the Newcastle match at the very end because it was nil-nil. You think, but it feels every time this Everton team go down a goal, they're just not much of a fight left in them to to get back in the match, and we didn't create a whole lot. Um, and it felt like Palace just wait, wait, grew tremendously wait, wait, in confidence. Wait. Go ahead. Go ahead. What would, you say, what would you say we lacked? I won't say it. I won't say it this time because you got so mad at me last time. It's not Spirit. the S word. Alec, there you go. Alex got it in. <laughs> I'll take one for you, brother. Uh, yeah, if you don't laugh, you cry. Folks. I hate you both. Well, I don't know if Spirit would have prevented the second goal from going in because that was just more cluelessness, being lost. Maybe it was. Honestly, look, I'm not going to say Spirit, but maybe it was intensity or just competitiveness or mentality or I just... This one is the one that this bothers me way more than a set-piece goal that just kind of happens because it's really good delivery and maybe we weren't, although you could argue maybe we weren't as well-prepared. I don't know. I didn't go back and watch every Palace's set-piece, so I didn't, I'm not doing opposition scouting today. It's just a podcast, for heaven's sakes. But um, I, I think the second goal really has me a lot more irked, frankly, than than this one. Yeah, and, and, and even, a, even down 1-0, knowing the struggles that Everton have, you still feel like, there's a hope we could get a goal. We could get a we could of get course. a goal off a set piece. We could create something. Unfortunately, this goal from Palace. Well, we're not right now, though. We're not. It, to be perfectly yeah. honest, we probably shouldn't rationally because we're not creating any attack no. whatsoever. It's one thing to get gashed, but it's not like we're creating chances either. Right. In order to get gashed, even if we did have the ball in some dangerous areas, and I think that's down to individual quality. But we'll get into that in a second. But this one was just. There's so much wrong with it, and I don't really quite nowhere to stop, start, you know, really with kind of the give and go where Zaha gets played behind Godfrey. Coleman just lets easy go wide, which is crazy. He had two guys on the inside. you got to get in front of him. And I don't know what Godfrey's doing here. He comes wide from his right center half position. He just kind of stares at the ball. It gets played right behind him. Keane comes out. I guess he has to at this point. And Holgate's man-to-man with Mateta. And how does he not block the shot or pick off the pass? Gomes was even back. It's not like we had the gap that we always had where it was a pass back in front of the back line. He was there. DeCorey maybe could have recovered strongly enough. I don't know. DeCorey looked like he thought Godfrey had him and pulled out a little bit to kind of cover the, the, the above the 18. Mateta hits it okay. I mean, he hits it clean, but doesn't crush it. And Pickford, I mean, it couldn't have been more than three feet to his left. He's normally terrific on low shots. I, I think he normally saves that one. I, 
there are so many failures here. I don't even know where to start. Probably Godfrey is the biggest culprit here. I think Pickford's got to do better. And how does the ball get right through Holgate? I, I don't get it, guys. This was a calamity of errors and really a, a disappointing goal to concede. I, I just don't know what they were even thinking. Incredibly frustrating. And and when you consider, again, you mentioned, okay, you Palace score against the run of play. And it's and they weren't like dominant after that. From, in between the first goal and the second goal, both teams had one shot on target, two total shots. So it felt like, okay, down one nil. And then to concede just before the half to essentially, from an Evertonian standpoint, kill the game off. I was like, there's zero chance we come back from 2-0. Zero. I did, not a I did think, though, there's no intensity in this play at all, honestly. No. And, and, no. I, and I hate to say stuff like that. They gave but up. The, yeah, I think so, Alex, because, or at least this one, they were a little just kind of floating around, weren't sure what they were doing. I don't know how to explain this, but to me personally, and look, we always focus on tactics and tend to get a little more strategic, but in this one, you're in the game still. Your mentality, James, exactly is what you said should be, look, we're in it. Fine. Big deal. Shrug it off. This team we're playing is not Man City here. Let's get back into it. And there is just no one steps up and makes a play here at all. I, I, I don't know how to describe that mentality. It just seems so crazy to me. Like, I, I would have been fired up at this point. Yeah, and I mean, at that point, we were just kind of marching with our heads down to halftime, right? Just hoping that we could get there at, at 2-0. Um, and the interesting thing was, right after half, we had a substitute, which, you know, is pretty rare with Frank. I know I personally have complained waiting so long in, in some matches to make a sub, but this time around, he throws in Dominic Calvert-Lewin right at the, uh, the beginning of the second half for John Joe Kenny, and it looked like we kind of moved to somewhat of a 4-4-2 maybe. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to. The problem is with that, it was 4 4 2. Maybe it was 4 2 2 because there was still a massive gap now in between Richarlison, Dominic Calvert Lewin, and the rest of the team. And I, I thought at this point in the match, there were opportunities for us to get back into it. We had the ball a bit more, we had some chances. It didn't really result into too many shots, but I just felt like they were open. They were more open than they probably should have been at 2 0. And I thought there was some opportunity here, but I really felt like that died the second they made their subs in the 71st minute because they switched out and brought in an extra more defensive midfielder to shore up and play a little more compact. And we've had trouble creating, and I just didn't think this would do it. But I don't know if I'm more irritated about the tactical masterpiece of making that move by Patrick, Patrick Vieira, who everyone bagged on them hiring him this year, which, okay, good call there. Um the numbers from the 71st minute after that sub the rest of the way, I thought were deplorable. And to me, that says you guys kind of packed it in. Yeah, it, it, I think the numbers speak for themselves. Seven to one in shots in favor of Palace. One to zero in corners. Nine to two in aerials. One, even though Everton had 60%, nearly 60% at 57% of the ball, it felt like the boys couldn't wait to get on the bus to go home, if we're being real at that point. And, and part of... Part of it may have been the tactical switch here because then we switched back and we were kind of playing that same formation again. You had Gordon and Awobi as your attacking wingbacks. I guess the thought is that's going to generate more offense, but you never solved the problem with the fact that you've got no one in the 10 spot. So you still got this massive gap, and now it's not just Richarlison isolated. It's him and Dominic Calvert-Lewin isolated. And I just, I don't get this. What is the reluctance to play Alex Awobi in the middle? Well, Alex, you made a great point last pod. The fantastic goal against Newcastle that generated from Alex Awobi carrying the ball through the middle of the field. 
Now, again, no one's telling him not to do it, but clearly you're taking him as far away from his natural position as you possibly can at right wing back. And what I find even more ridiculous is that Nathan Patterson, who in theory, if there's one position he could play as right wing back. Now, I don't think he's ready either. And we said that on this pod, that that would be a stretch. But at least if you're going to pick function, that makes sense. I, I just don't, I don't get it, man. Just play a four, two, three, one, put a Wobie in the middle and play. And I just, I don't understand why he thought that tactic was going to be so incredibly effective, especially after they made the changes they did. Yeah. And it was only a matter of time, right? We still generated very little. And then sort of the embarrassment continues with Palace getting their third goal. This might be the worst one of them all. Um, this debatably. one just beyond strange too. Yeah. There's... And I, I, I had to do like a triple take after this. We, we, you know, lost a battle near the sidelines. Keen comes out, gets beat by Eze, um, ends up with a square bad ball that goes to Olise. He hits it, tries to curl one. Flubbed. I thought it was it well got deflected wide. or flubbed. I mean, it's a terrible shot, really. It, was a it weird, may have been deflected. Weird, it may have been, and it looked like it was going well out. And all of a sudden, well, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, that's out. I kind of like looked away or like I maybe took a sip of my drink or something. And then I see Zaha puts it in the back of the net. And I was like, wait, what? And on the replay, it actually kind of floating bounces off the post. Every Everton player is just standing there watching it, including Jordan Pickford. And Zaha is just patiently sitting there waiting for it to fall to his feet. And again, you're not going to find a much easier goal to score at that level of play. Um, Three nil again, game's gone. The, The team looks embarrassed as they rightly should. And we are crashing out of the FA Cup before everyone's eyes. Well, it, it was funny. I, it was even more surprising that Zaha scored because on on my broadcast, at least, they cut away from the ball, essentially, as it was floating in to hit the post. And the next thing you know, it cuts back, and you see Zaha just tapping it in. It was really confusing. But the other interesting thing about that goal was the fact that Godfrey was kind of running the opposite direction towards the back post, playing Zaha on completely, not looking at the ball at all. It was just a completely bizarre setup whatsoever. No intensity. That was just staring at the ball. Just staring at flip over. Yeah, Godfrey's just whole mad dash there. I mean, the fact that we lost the battle on the far side of the field was pathetic enough. I mean, someone kick someone, for heaven's sakes. Tackle someone. Get into them. It's just un- no sense of urgency. The funny part was, thank God it was a terrible pass into Elise, it shouldn't even gone to him. It should have went to the middle and it would have been two on one against Anthony Gordon for heaven's sakes. It's just so strange, but the most disgraceful thing is the ball just floating up and everyone just standing thinking it's out of bounds. Like really? Like that's how easily turned off you are just. Yeah. And then they finally put us out of our, we were already out of our misery in the 87th, this one and the ball finds its way to Gallagher. How can you have, again, this is another example where I think it was Holgate kept flying dead sprint backwards behind the line. Do these guys not know how to play a line that's not starting from our own goal line? You see this way too often. I just have you I don't understand this so much. He he immediately dashes back, plays everyone on side. Gallagher gets the ball, amazing save by Pickford, which is about the only thing he did today. And it's just a tap into Hughes and they're all staring like oh he must be offside. No, he's not. Not even close to offside. He's just sitting there staring, waiting for the ball. It's just First a disgrace, goal for Hughes, man. by the way. First Palace goal for Hughes. Um, 
classic Everton right there. And you're right, Ryan. Um, it, it did just feel like, it's like, I don't know, there's countless scenes in movies, but like where they're shooting a dead body and they know he's dead, but you just like fire off the rest of the clip just to make, you know, for your own enjoyment. That felt like what Palace were doing to us. He's already dead. Um, and we were, and they just finished it off, uh, gave their fans quite the day out at Sellers Park. They were loving it. And it was just abject misery for the Evertonians who elected to make the trip down to London and for those of us who elected to tune in on our television. So I think Frank had some interesting comments afterwards that are probably worth exploring. But the only thing that I could see from a more macro level data point wise is the Palace did have a ton of turnovers. I mean, Eze had six, Elise had seven, Mateta eight, Zaha seven. So that's a lot of giving us the ball from their attacking players. So in many ways, you look at that and think, well, that's good. You were pressuring and then your back line had enough courage to step up on those guys and take the ball from them to keep it. But that's not the case. We didn't keep the ball. Um, in fact, I think they won the possession battle for the most part. It was close, but they didn't have to in the second half. They let us have it and do nothing with us. But I think Frank's summary, let's start with that one. I think his idea was that we allowed a goal from a corner. We allowed another average goal, then a fluke goal, then another average goal. And his point was Palace didn't have to too much to do much to score those four goals. They didn't play that well. We didn't play that bad, but it's four nil. So do we agree with that starting point that they weren't that great? We weren't that bad, but it's four nil. How are you giving up goals like that? I, I, I don't know what you're. Let's start, Alex, I want to hear what you think. Is that fair way to characterize what happened? I mean, I definitely agree. Palace did not play that well. I think their goals were pretty soft across the board, um, other than maybe the corner. But even then, you know, it's kind of unfortunate from our perspective, in my opinion. Um, but I, I will challenge him to say that I do think we were that bad. Um, you know, I, I saw a lot of people tweeting at halftime, for example, this is definitely not a 2-0 game, you know, kind of hard done by. And at that point, I probably would have agreed with them. But... You see how kind of the team crumbled and, and the way that we conceded the goals. And I think it's just safe to say that we are, we are, our, and, and we were that bad. What about you, James? Yeah, I think we're just incredibly easy to beat at the moment if you can get that first goal. Like, we made things pretty tough for Newcastle and the red card galvanized this last match. But other than that, we let teams kind of coast. And the, no pal. And, and what's concerning to me is no Palace didn't play well. I, I agree with you, Alex, that we did play poorly. But at that Palace, in fact, did not have to play well at all and were still able to beat us by such a wide margin. And I think that's kind of the place Everton are in the, at the moment where we you don't have to even turn up and play your best. Just put together a, a somewhat com comprehensive or, or cohesive performance and you'll walk all over this Everton side, which look at sixes and sevens more often than not. Um, and, it, and it felt like the team kind of just put their heads down. And like I said, multiple times at this point. We're just looking to get off the pitch once they knew that there was no way back. Frank seemed to agree with that assessment. If I listen to and look at some yeah. of his words, I mean, he said something along the lines of, you know, a lot of times I'll sort of defend the players. It's the end of that story. He said, you've got 11 games to show character and that's kind of it. Um, and he did say those two games after this are more important than this one. And he said, I'll fight till the very end. He seemed to think it wasn't tactical. It was more attitudes, getting heads down, showing character. And he's kind of fed up with this talk about confidence and momentum. So, okay, there's a lot to unpack there. I, is it not tactical? Do we think there was a tactical element of the match? It's hard to ever say that there's never a tactical element of the match. But, but, I don't think the tactics were entirely way off 
other than maybe his adjustments could have changed to get us back into the pitch. When I saw after the second half, I think bringing Dominic Calvert-Lewin is the right thing to do. I just think we're better with him on the pitch, even if he's not fully fit. I think the tactical assembly around that was a mistake. I think there were gaps in the middle of the pitch, and I think they were able to be exploited if we had the right system in place. So I think there's a little bit of that. But I can't I can't defend the goals. I mean, the goals are not, they don't look tactical to me. They really don't. Uh, maybe the third one a little bit, but that ended up kind of being a fluke. So, James, you've got a comment on here. I, I think it's interesting. Frank does seem a little fed up, doesn't he? He does. Frank seems pretty frustrated. Um, and I don't know what goes on at Finch Farm week in, week out. But it does feel like, from a managerial perspective, what he has control over, the team selection, the instructions given to the players. And it feels like there's a couple things going on in that we can't get the consistent same consistent 11 to play together week in week out there's constant chopping and changing changing the formations often as well and then just the style of play when you're scrapping for wins trying to play this really high intensity high press um just doesn't really seem to be working uh calls for i think we've the words come up more often than then once, and that's pragmatism. There needs to be an air of pragmatism. And for us to come out that way versus Palace and come out on the front foot, I love the idea, but it doesn't seem like the team's capable of executing that performance for more than the 10 or 15 minutes that we've had success doing it. So I think he does bear some responsibility. But it's also like, okay, well, now we're getting the Frank line of like, well, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Like now they're going to see like the, the hard, mean Frank and they're going to get motivated. And if they're not going to fight, then... I'm going to, they're, they're not going to play basically, um, is, is what he says. Um, and okay, that's good, but I know, you know, the mood of the players when he first arrived was obviously very down and he was trying to lift everyone's spirits by keeping things light and positive that only that's really hasn't gotten as far at all. We got one win since his, or a couple wins since his but arrival. He said we have to stay positive, didn't he? I thought that's he what did. he was saying before. So what's, which one is it? This post-match I thought was interesting sitting down in the conference table. You know, you haven't got the confidence to play. He then substituted the word confidence for bullocks. Um, it wasn't tactics. It was confidence and, and testicular fortitude. He didn't use that phrase. I did. Um, he, he, you could sound him. He's like, I, I want to, I'd rather go again personally before saying it really needs repetition and, and shape. And you could just tell he doesn't get it. His his mentality is is good. You know, he wants to get back out there and get on it. But I don't know if that's what you need as a manager. I think you need a manager that's going to make us tough to beat and and build out from from that. And is this true? Is it not? There's still some tactical elements here too. It just do you get the impression that Frank might be out of ideas? Yeah, it's an interesting thought because you know. It seems where he is now, and I may be way off base with this perception, but it seems like where he is now is he kind of lets his setup be dictated by the personnel that he has available to him week in and week out. And we know that's been shifting constantly with sickness, with injuries, with players coming back, um, some players coming in in January, some players leaving. Um, but at the same time, though, I think we've been very hard-pressed to find a standard lineup, a standard system. Um, I know we've seen a back five a lot, especially away from home this season. I don't know. The I don't question know is really system. like, I mean, is it the system as much as the way of playing? Because this felt like the Spurs match it, in terms of how we tried to attack it. System aside, you know, the system does matter. Right. It does matter. But it, it was, 
And you could look at it very easily and say, well, it's 5-0, 4-0. It's the same type of result. It didn't quite feel the same. Well, it felt the same way because it felt like it was helpless. But Spurs were clearly more dangerous, I thought. I don't know if that was it, but it's hard to argue that this is the right way to play on the road. And, and if you don't have people there and you have to adjust, that's okay, Alex, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with adjusting at times. But the only game we've really been pragmatic so far is Man City. And we were tougher to beat. I mean, the guys did show that they could play to that way to a certain extent. I think it's arguable, too. We could have gotten something out of that. Is there no yeah. in-between now? Is is it, it is it is Alex, you're kind of, I can tell you're a little flummoxed about it, as am I. I'm a little confused as well. But I, put it this way. Frank's got to play differently against West Ham. And I think West Ham will struggle to play against a team that kind of packs it in a little bit. And very much Frank's style is is front foot, typically 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, higher pressure. It'll be very interesting to see how he sets up against these teams that were clearly not better than either right now or period. Because a lot of teams we've played so far, there's some idea that we could play with them a bit, you know? Yeah, I mean, my last thought on the on, on that topic is simply that, you know, I personally probably have more of a gripe of his of his choices in personnel in some of these setups than I do necessarily the setup itself in a lot of cases. I feel like some players he really still hasn't figured out how to use them strong. Like we've talked about a Wobi. Um, you know, we talk about constantly using a right-footed left wing back or left back in general when Minkalinko's there. Um, obviously Deli Ali, Donnie Van de Beek. So I think he's got a lot of work to do to figure out, even besides the tactical setup and there is a difference between the setup and the implementation of the setup, right? So he, they also need to implement the setup and he needs to choose the right people. And I think what he really needs to do is start trying different players in different positions and different um, with different roles and responsibilities. Yeah, I think that's that's fair, Alex. I mean, it's hard because what, what he's done isn't working. And what it feels like is Frank's come in and he's said, okay, you're in this position. We're fighting relegation. Let's... For, to use an American baseball analogy, let's just go down swinging. Like, let's try to hit a home run by playing this really like in your face press rather than trying to just hit singles and just get points here or there and maybe eke out some one nil wins. Uh, and, and there needs to be a little bit of flexibility, but I also think that constant chopping and changing is part of the problem. So it's like a chicken and an egg of you got to use guys the right way. You got to find the way to make them successful and nothing seems to really have clicked that he can even really stick with, which I think has kind of forced him to, to rotate the players consistently. Well, I think it's worth exploring who are the consistents, who are the consistent people and things. So let's go back to Alex's idea about personnel. So one guy he singled out after the Spurs match and basically said should never leave the lineup. He didn't exactly say it that way, but he really called him out by name was Anthony Gordon. Um, I got this impression from him and certainly the fans seem like they love Anthony Gordon and he's the only good thing possible here for Everton right now. He is whatever you want to call it. It almost feels that he's undroppable. I personally think they need to drop him and I understand he's working hard and that's lovely, but this is another game where he had about the lowest passing percentage. He had one key pass, four turnovers, one tackle committed four fouls. He was one for four in dribbles Look, in the league, let's talk about the Premier League, because he's been okay in the cup matches against lesser competitions. In the Premier League, he has one legit goal from open play. It's a def He had a deflection off for Charleston, shot off his back, and then he had that ridiculous left-footed def deflection against Brighton. He's got one. 
He's got two assists in the league, both off corners. He had some in the, in, in the cup matches. He doesn't have a single assist from open play. Now, I hate assists. You know that. But the other creation numbers aren't there either. He is not creating for his teammates. So, to me, that's a big part of his role. And now that Dominic Calvert-Loon is coming back in the fold and Damari Gray looks like he's healthy, I do not understand. I, I just think he needs to sit down. I think he'd be better when he has time and space if he's running against tired legs. And I think it's hurting us. And I don't see any other way to look at it. This isn't an indictment of him as a player in the future. But I think Max, I think Frank may have made a mistake singling him out the way that he did because I feel like he's made him almost undroppable right now. And, and I seriously think he needs to drop him because we're not scoring at all and we're not dangerous. And he's getting a lot of touches in dangerous areas. He still has a ton of touch. It's one thing if you're not creating because you're playing behind the ball a lot. That's not the case here. I don't know how you guys feel. Yeah, I've I've become extremely frustrated with Anthony Gordon. Uh, it's been clear for a while that he doesn't create much, but you take that on top of some of the theatrics, the going down incredibly easy, and he can draw you know a pretty cheeky foul here or there, which is I guess useful. But he gets bullied a lot of the time, and he can be incredibly predictable when he's on the ball, and that's natural for a young player who hasn't maybe discovered all of the tricks in his repertoire just yet. But and, and it's you know. We're in a position where it feels like you can't criticize him because he's the, the one of the few positives of this season has been him getting regular game time. But then you take that against okay, well, if you had to choose between a young player getting regular minutes and Everton not being in the relegation zone, it's like I mean, we're it, not good for a reason though, right? And we have right. to start facing realities. And this guy's getting a ton of the opportunities. And I'll tell you another thing, Richarlison. I think Richarlison's amazing, and I think something needs to change. Is it time now that Dom is back to get him the heck? over to left wing again. And I can't help but think it is. His finishing this year has been iffy, but it's just been all over the place. He had seven turnovers today, one key pass. He had three shots, only one on target. He, he He's having trouble hitting the goal. I mean, his shots on target in the Premier League this year, 22.2%. It's far and away the lowest of his career. His creation numbers are down. I just think it's time to get him. He's not in Rafa's system anymore. Get him back at left wing. Or left tucking inside in a 4-3-3, a 4-2-3-1. Let him defend a little bit, win the ball from deeper, and run with it a little bit more, getting his head up and hope to create. I just think Dom at 9, Richie over at the 7, I think compared to Anthony Gordon at the 7, Richie at the 9 is a massive upgrade, and I think it needs to happen. And I also think our team just in general, then having someone like Anthony Gordon come off the bench and play running at tired legs, I think collectively increases our ability to score goals. This is not the Anthony Gordon show. This is Everton football club and it's all part of a greater whole. That's my take. Um, I, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but Richarlison, I just feel like he needs something else to jumpstart his play. And I think having the ball deep or not having to play with his back to the goal as often also gives us a physical matchup problem against wide spaces where if we're going to hoof the ball up, which Jordan Pickford seems committed to doing at times, that gives us another option to be able to do that. It does, and I, I totally agree with you on pretty much all accounts, right? I think now that Dominic Calvert-Loon is coming back and getting um, some more minutes uh, through the matches this week, I definitely foresee Anthony Gordon being dropped 
hopefully for Richarlison on the left. And the left, it, it just plays to Richarlison's strengths better. I mean, I think that was a really good point. We forget kind of how good Richarlison is on defense and how much he offered in his first couple seasons on the left-hand side defensively. I mean, we've been talking about it. You know, you've mentioned it specifically, Ryan, many times this season how, for example, that's a factor in, de in deciding maybe should Damari Gray or Gordon or Awobi play on the wing for us, depending on their defensive capability. And also, it plays to his strengths in, in terms of his dribbling. Um, I think I love Richarlison popping up on the back post sometimes, especially if you got, let's say, for example, Townsend on the right, swinging in crosses like he did the first couple minutes this season. And I think also it kind of plays to his strength in terms of being able to be el more elus elusive in the box and take up maybe some more creative uh, positions. But either way, hopefully we see that change very, very soon. I think Damari Gray on the right side, too, looks dangerous in scoring, but also imagine him feeding the ball inside to Richarlison cutting in from the left. I, I think I just we got to change something to generate some offense. And I think the other thing is Richie can play deeper and win the ball and keep it and draw fouls almost as well. And yeah, your defensive point is good, especially on set pieces. Obviously, he's a massive upgrade over Gordon on set pieces. And I think even today, when Gordon went out with the other player and kind of shoved him and didn't do much, maybe Richarlison gets his head in there. I, I don't know. Physically, that might have been impossible. We just got to do something. I think that's probably what I would do, and I would play Alex Wobie down the middle. I, I just don't get it. I understand you only got two guys. That's fine. Maybe when Delph comes back, he plays in the middle, and I want to talk about the two-man midfield here in a second. But I think a Wobie playing deeper can help us at least get on the ball and keep it. I was hopeful today when I saw Andre into the match that we might see a little more of that. Now, I recognize that, in truth, the higher-pressure scheme does probably suit Andre better, honestly. He, he is dreadful playing into space, if you say you can get on the front foot and go attack people and kick them, he does that pretty well. And his numbers kind of indicated he did to a certain extent today, although how he's still on the pitch by the end, I don't know. Yeah, Andre on the day, six tackles, a couple interceptions, just a tick below 70% uh, pass accuracy. But he got dribbled past three times and he got his customary yellow with a bit of a clumsy challenge. Typical for Andre. There's just there's just not and Decore alongside him. I think neither really excel in a two man midfield. Four for six in long balls, which is positive for Decore. Seventy six, seventy seven percent pass accuracy. A couple tackles and an interception, but they're just not able to impact the game in the same way in that two man midfield. They don't get on the ball. They don't have the time and space. And the link up play with the forward line is virtually non existent, which is just a huge handicap to our ability to create chances. We talked a little bit, or I sent a tweet out. And, and um, we've talked in the past about J.P. Bameen and letting him go on loan, which I have less of a problem with if we had brought someone else in. Part of this problem is there's some thought, and we'll get to Patty's comment later. Well, let's just talk about it now. Patty made the comment, it's time to kind of stick with the position and, and, and go with it. You know, stick with kind of a way of play and some personnel and kind of go with it and try and lock that down. The problem is, I don't know if that's if, if we're able to do that because we lack numbers. I mean, if every time we have a, a defensive mid fall or go down, we've got to play two-man midfield, you can't really do that. So here's Patty's comment at Patty Boy. No injuries and suspensions play a part, but now surely the time to pick a system and favorite 11 and stick to it wherever possible. Preferably one with extra body in midfield, chopping and changing doesn't help one bit. So look, regardless of whether it's Bameen or not, to have a six helps because it can at least force you to now play this way, just having that extra number in midfield. And I don't understand why we pull in an Ogazi. We have Deli Ali and Vandebeek who don't seem to be able to play very well together unless we're playing Borum Wood. 
where some, you know, lesser, lesser team, which we don't have any games against teams like that anymore. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it's possible. I just don't think. I don't think we have enough players to do it unless you're going to sacrifice someone and try and play him in defensive mid where he shouldn't be there or you're going to assume Fabian Delft is going to be able to come in, who I think would help, honestly, especially to keep the ball. But I just, I, I think it's almost, I don't think it's too late for that, but he's right, but can we do that? I think playing a Wobie would have done it maybe today, but now you've only got two defensive mids and no one else. I don't know what your thoughts are on that comment because I think it makes sense, but... Maybe play Brantwaith and move some center half in to play in the middle, like Gottfried or Holgate. I don't want to do that. Holgate's terrible down the middle. Yeah, no, I mean, it just comes down to the fact that you look at the midfielders we had here that could have filled in as, let's say, maybe second or third string that we don't have available now. Tom Davies, right? We haven't even mentioned him. He's he's out for the rest of the season, most likely. By me, and as you said, Delph hasn't contributed pretty much at all due to injury, and that's usually what we expect as well. So all of that to say that we were never going to be in a, a good position, I think, in the center of the pitch with any of our main guys out. I forgot to mention the reason why we brought up Amin is because he was man of the match in Moscow's last match. And and I've been watching him, and he looks to be the player that I thought he was. It's a lesser league, so he's just physically overwhelming guys. But And again, it's not about him. It's about bringing in someone else. If you just wanted to get him time, fine. You've done that. Um, that's okay, but there doesn't look like physical issues with him. So if it's more of a fitness and playing games, I get that. Bring someone else in. I, I think it 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 puts us in a very very difficult spot. And Frank was in in time, hopefully to get someone else in. Surely they were looking at sixes. It was so obvious we needed one. But again, we didn't even have a director of football, so I guess none of this should be surprising. But just the hits keep coming, you know. And then I, I probably the less said about the back line, um, the better. But Boy, combined, the numbers were not great. What did what was Mason Holgate again in long balls? <laughs> Two for ten. Two for uh, ten today. Mm, mm, and there was yeah. one in particular. I can't remember the exact context, but which one? Because there were many. It was just, and it, it, again, it feels like he just takes it upon himself when we're passing it around the back to say, "Actually, let's not do this. Let me just hoof it up and give the ball away." And two for ten is pretty typical for Mason, but but, but outside of him, it wasn't. He wasn't alone in a poor performance. Godfrey Keen and Holgate combined finished with two tackles between the three of them. Four interceptions, seven clearances. And that says it all. It, it Neither of them, none of them look comfortable in a back three, a back five. Uh, the consistent, you talk about, can these guys not, you mentioned it earlier, Ryan, can these guys not uh, keep a defensive line, like maintain a defensive line? Well, there's seems to be very little chemistry between them and maybe not as much communication as is needed. And we're playing guys on side constantly to give away relatively easy chances. It's so frustrating. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, the only thing I found kind of funny about our tackling stats in this match is the fact that Andre Gomez, who we know is not the strongest on defense had literally tripled the amount of tackles as our entire three man back line. If that doesn't tell you how today's match went, I don't know what will. I will say this. I don't see any way that these guys collectively seem to make sense in a back three. Um, I, you know, we just saw the Newcastle match where maybe we weren't amazing. It was a big dramatic win and all that stuff. And you look at the XG, we certainly wasn't, but we weathered the storm early played a played two in the back, you know? And yes, I know Godfrey was, was one of the fullbacks, but at least it was a back four. Um, you, you know, the, the Wolf Max. And the thing is, we're not generating offense in that. And we're not doing better on defense. Spurs, back three. 
you know? Um, and we got torn up. Manchester City, we actually looked kind of solid, and we played a back four. Um, Southampton ripped us with with a four, but you know, I, I don't know. It's just I we've tried it so many times in the past, and I don't think anyone can look at this team and say a back three works. That's just my opinion. I'm sure the theory is good. Someone in the center halves can step up and fill in that gap, but I can't entirely blame the system today, really. Yeah, it's it's not a single point of failure. It's clearly just nothing really working for Everton on multiple fronts. System had its shortcomings. The players could have made up for that. They obviously didn't. And a decent, somewhat good Palace side were able to comfortably march their way to Wembley in in place of us, uh, which I guess now we're kind of singularly focused on survival, which probably a positive that said it also could just be a complete disaster because the players there's a lot of pressure on them right now they've well, got true. an international break to regroup Go I, I i think that's a good thing I, I don't think that this match indicates we're going down or I, some of the mm-hmm. reactions i think are way over the top i do believe that this match was not quite the priority that maybe others thought it might be and it's a very good thing that the guy who went down as terrible as that is was not one of our key players that that matters because that's not what happened in the Brentford match, if you recall. We took some risk there, and it hurt us, for sure. I know people argue that it doesn't, and sports science on the Discord, right, over and over. But it did hurt us. Those guys got hurt in that match, and it was very obvious. So anyway, the only thing that I stinks, and this is, I'm going to quote Alan Brody here, at Brody in Maryland. Alan says, usually I hate the international break, but I never look more, forward more to two weeks without Everton in my life. Yeah, until you look at the U.S. men's national team roster and see, oh my God, we could totally blow this. And I cannot help but think that. Uh, I will say this, I got more confidence in Frank Lampard as a manager than Greg Berhalter, but that that will be another story. I, I just don't think that this loss indicates all is over. I do think Frank is learning a lot about this team, but I really do wish that he would have learned some of these things already about the team. Um, we shouldn't take away from the win. The Newcastle win, Brentford lost today. That's that doesn't hurt. Uh, it did hurt the other day that that Leeds won in another mind-boggling referee circumstances. But really, what Dubious. matters here is is well, the problem is we don't have a lawn, so I don't know what we're going to look like, and and I'm not sure what I would do. But I think four two three one or four three three is the right way to play. Frank needs to play to the formations that he understands the best. And if he has to play a little bit behind the ball, he needs to do that and be acceptable. And hopefully in the next couple weeks, he can get focused on shape. Remember when Carlo was frustrated that we kept getting exposed and making mistakes? What did he do? He drilled the daylights out of him on in shape. And if we can become just a little more solid in the back, I think with the right personnel in the front, we will be able to generate some chances. I'm just saying all is not is not lost. Um, although today was certainly disorganized as Stephen Williams made the observation as well. Yeah, we had Stephen Williams getting into the listener comments portion of the show now at Steve M. Williams said, took me 20 minutes to even understand what formation we were playing in the second half. Supporting Everton is just so tiring. I don't it had disagree, a little bit man. of It had a little bit of a UNLV Jerry Tarkanian, like amoeba swarm defense to it at times, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is fun. But when you have 11 people on a soccer pitch doing it collectively... But again, it was working. So, and they're not, I know. they're not spurs. So I, I, you had to think you weren't going to get totally exposed. So some of it was Meredith. It just, but a lot of people disagree. James at uh how zero one, five, seven, nine, one, eight, three wrong formation. It just doesn't work. I think it's a combination of both, but I don't know. I I'm, 
I think this is just a calamity of errors on a lot of different a lot of different ways. Yeah, it is. And then we also had Hollywood Wallace Hawkins at Damon W. Hawkins. In theory, I understand a 3-4-3 because it gives you an extra person centrally to deal with only having two available central midfielders. But when we were on top, we needed that extra player as a 10, Wobi. <clears throat> and once the game flipped, it did nothing to help us with pressure. Does any of this even matter? I think it matters Some of a little sentiments bit. Sentiments we kind of echoed. No, no, I, but I think a little bit does matter. I think in the second half. So look, it's a combination of things. If we didn't let down our guard and lose all sense of intensity or focus and give up the second goal, which kind of came out of nothing, not nothing, but I mean, they weren't really totally threatening at that point. You could deal with the set piece goal. It happens. We come out in the second half and Dominic Calvert-Lewin comes in and we drop someone in the 10 and I think we've got something there and who knows, maybe one goal, even down two nil there, one goal may have changed the tide a little bit. They yeah. would have went to a more defensive shape and felt a little more pressure and we could have got more on the front foot. So it does matter. It matters to some extent, but I think from a tactical criticism standpoint, that's the one that really bothers me the most. It's that adjustment with Dominic coming in. Cause I don't know what he thought he was going to achieve. Maybe he thought that they were going to be too stout down the middle and he had to attack in the wide spaces. But if that's the case, I didn't see the combinations and the combining of people in there to really make that happen. And Dom and, and Richie, I just thought were, I don't want to say static, but they, they were occupying two center halves almost individually, two on two, which is like the last thing you want to do. You would have thought one would play off the other. I, I just don't. There are times where they've been okay together like that, but I didn't see it today. But far too often, they do seem to just not fit together and not have a lot of chemistry which is strange because they've been teammates now for a while and you'd think that they would link up but it seems like the only way it's ever i think really worked the way it has the potential to is with richarlison in the wide area and dom is the sole striker when they're both kind of playing as strikers it just doesn't work well but as ryan said earlier i don't think all is lost we can still eke out a, we're only two or three wins away like we really just need to get a couple more and that's where brian j henry's comment really, I think, puts it all in perspective. And, and I think he hits the nail on the head here in that he says, I honestly care way more about beating Crystal Palace in the Premier League. And the same goes for other teams advancing in the FA Cup. Uh, we talked about it. This match, though depressing to lose because it does obviously showcase that we fall far short against other Premier League teams. It does not actually count in the table. We've got plenty of opportunities to prove ourselves a couple weeks off for fans to... Uh, reset a little bit and for hopefully the players to reset as well come back galvanized and ready to fight for the shirt and show spirit and get us out of this mess any last words from either of you esteemed gentlemen before we wrap the show yeah the only thought i've really got is just uh i would have liked to see a more competitive match especially for the fa cup um, you know, the probability of us winning the FA Cup would have been uh, pretty much slim to none, if not <laughs> absolutely none. And maybe in hindsight, I would have liked to see some guys like Nathan Patterson, for example, get some more minutes uh, during the, the competition itself. Uh, but otherwise, as you all said, and, and I think put it perfectly, it doesn't necessarily indicate that we're going down or that it should be, you know, anything different from how we thought about the team three days ago with their win against Newcastle. We're never going to win the FA Cup this year. Sorry. Maybe people want to talk about the magic of the cup. It wasn't happening. We're not good enough. He doesn't believe and in I, the magic. Don't bring of me up, cup. Wigan. Don't. I, that is not what I said. Mm. Don't bring up the Wigan thing. And that was a long time ago. And this league has changed a lot even since then. The teams that are still left are way too good, way too talented, and way too deep. And there's no way we're going to beat 
you know, two of them. You know what I mean? I mean, who's left? Yeah. Liverpool, Chelsea, and um, Man City. Is that who's left? Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool won. Great, of course. What a surprise. Jada in the 78th. It must have been a penalty. They just didn't list it as a penalty. Um, look, you really think we're going to beat those three teams, two out of those three teams in back-to-back matches? And if so, would that cost us issues with the league? Yeah, probably. Yeah, look, it's not no, the time and place. I look forward to a deep cup run at one point. It's not impossible for us to win it, but this team isn't good enough to do it, especially under the circumstances. So I don't care that much about it. Let's just hope Frank gets his team gunning and playing better uh, by the time the break's over. That's the more important thing. Just got to make us tough to beat first and foremost. Everything else stems from that. We just can't be shipping the first goal every single match. It's going to lead to ruin for us. So yes, let's hope Frank... And Paul Clements and the like all work very hard at Finch Farm with the players over the next couple of weeks on improving that performance and really all of the recent performances. But that will do it for us today on this match. We appreciate appreciate everyone very much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you managed to make it this far, props to you. And if you do us a solid and leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice helps us out a ton. Again, if you want to find all of our social media links or the pod on any other platforms, you can do so at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash USA Toffee Pod. Otherwise, we will be uh, also enjoying some of the international break, but we may come at you with some content in the interim. We'll be returning for the match against West Ham following the break. Otherwise, thanks again for listening. Until next time, up the Toffees.